microphone. Hello and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Koops. I'm your host, and today I'm excited to bring you an interview with uh, copy editor Brian Luster. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you. It's um, it's a pleasure getting to to have you on on the show today. Of course, we ha- know each other uh, in real life, as as they say. Um, we, of course, another St. Petersburg native, or not native, but a resident. Um, resident, and, yes. And we've uh, run across each other on the Frisbee field, which is, uh, for those people who don't know, I'm an avid Ultimate Frisbee player. Um, but it's been a whole lot of fun getting to know you uh, casually, but now I get to know a little bit more about you professionally, which is a lot of fun. Um, so for people who aren't familiar with you and uh, want to know beyond your, your impressive Frisbee skills, um, can you tell us a little bit about... Um, your your business as a as a copy editor. Sure, uh, I'm a full time freelance copy editor. Um, I work mostly with uh, manuscripts that I receive from uh, major publishers, mm-hmm. but I've also been with the uh, the rise of self publishing. I've been getting um, clients th- that way. You know, I refer to them as private clients, private yeah. authors, um, and um, so I generally I get a manuscript after um, an editor has seen it or a developmental editor. Um, So it's maybe gone through a couple of drafts already. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it, it should be in pretty much um, near final form uh, when I get it. For people who aren't familiar with maybe the different types of editing, can you explain the difference between what a developmental developmental edit is and what a copy edit is, what you do? Sure. Uh, developmental edit is going to look much more uh, at the big picture. Um, it will look at things like, uh, should this chapter be here or should it be moved or mm-hmm. should this chapter be in the book at all? Um, you know, developing the characters, developing the plot. Um, I get to sometimes see the editor's notes when I'm working on a manuscript and there'll be things like, um, you know, it'll say like, I, you know, I really love this bit, but can we get a little more background or mm. can you maybe add something to, to really show why the character is behaving this way or saying this, um, why the character thinks the way the character does. Yeah. Uh, so the, the developmental edit is, is a much broader thing. Um, what I do is also called um, a line edit, okay. and I'm, really, I'm going through the manuscript word by word. Um, I'm looking for errors in spelling, punctuation, grammar, um, I look to make sure that the book conforms to the publisher's um, house style. Mm-hmm. A lot of the publishers have either certain spellings that they prefer mm-hmm. or um, certain punctuation that they like, um, things like the comma before or um, a terminal two. Um, okay. Some publishers always want that comma. Some publishers have their rules about when to put the comma in and when not to use it. Um, I've had arguments also, with people about that before. Yeah. We <laughs> had beta readers, things like that. They're like, oh, you have to put a comma here. And I'm like, well, you don't have to. Right, it's right. It's kind of a style choice. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, a lot of, a lot of um, my guidance comes from the Chicago Manual of Style. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much my Bible uh, yeah. for what I do. And um, in their Q&A, there was a thing when someone was asking about, um, about that comma. Like, you know, when you have... Uh, the, the word before the two, if it's stressed, then you put the comma in. And their response was kind of like, that's a lot of, uh, a lot of weight, a lot of you know, import to give to a, a, a poor little comma. Like, don't, <laughs> yeah. don't make the comma work so hard um, <laughs> that you, you know, make these you know, 
hard and fast rules about them. Yeah. But, um, I, I find the rules helpful. And, and yeah. I think, you know, why I enjoy this work is because I can be a bit pedantic. Um, I had an author call me a, a pedant once and I yeah. took that as a, as a badge of honor. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, and then in, in addition to these you know, standard things, I'm also looking for uh, chronology, uh, mm. make sure that the days are flowing in the right order, that a week doesn't have two Thursdays or that the yeah. week isn't six days long before you get to the weekend. Yeah. Um, so chronology, continuity issues. Um, if a character has brown hair on one page, you know, unless they've dyed it, their hair shouldn't change color three pages later. Yep. Um, if they've taken their glasses off on one page, they can't take them off again unless they've put them back on. Right. Uh, yeah. So a lot, of, a lot of things like that. It's very fine, detail-oriented. Sometimes uh, I have an issue with my character having too many things in their hands. Like there's right. got, they, at one point, they have something in their hand, and they pick something else up with their other hand. But then they pick something else up again. And I'm like, well, which hand are they using? Because both their hands are already full. You know, right. And like yep. that sort and, of thing. Yeah, and those are the things that I'll look for and say, you know, okay, he's already holding three things in this hand. You know, have him put something down or, you know. Yeah, because it's um, tough because that is the thing about uh, being a writer is it's a slow process. Oftentimes we're writing this over months or even years and like you, you, you spend a long time and it's been a while since you've seen what was just going on, maybe even in the last chapter, depending on how, how your pacing is, you might be coming back to write something to, or to revise a chapter not realizing that it's you know it's a continuation of the previous scene, the previous chapter, and you're only you know you you miss things, and so it's so wonderful to have a second pair of eyes, and so necessary to have a second pair of eyes, um, help keep everything straight. Right. Yeah. Um, can you tell people a little bit about how uh, I want to go into some more details of of editing and how this works? But can you tell people a little bit about your history and how you got into this business as a, as uh, an editor? Yes, uh, I got into it in a kind of roundabout way. I had had um, a few other unrelated careers, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, when I met my wife, who wasn't my wife yet, I was working unhappily in finance okay. uh, and had been for a number of years. And she was doing this freelance copy editing. And you know, I thought, wow, that's really cool. You know, She works from home. She yeah. makes her own schedule. She has time to do stuff during the day, in the middle of the week. Yeah. And and she said to me, you know, there's enough there's enough work. She was getting enough work that she could share her contacts with me. And she was pretty sure I would be able to do the work, too. Hmm. So I wrote to a few of the production editors who you know, regularly sent her work and said that um, Karen Sherman had recommended me. Um, yeah. And uh, the, at first I had to take um, copy tests. So the first few publishers I started working for would send me a copy test, which is, you know, five or ten pages um, with as many errors as possible as they okay. can put into it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's really kind of stressful to take these tests because you know there are errors. Yeah. And, and so I found, you know, five in this paragraph, but there are, there are probably eight or nine. Yeah. So you go through it very, very carefully and, and find the errors. Um, and eventually I'd done enough of those and gotten enough work from publishers that I could start writing to um, production editors and saying, I'd like to do freelance for you. And they'd say, okay, and yeah. eventually start sending me work. Um, I, I didn't have to take the test anymore. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Are there any, any examples of these tests online that people could look um, at? There may be. I've, I've never looked for them. I mean, the ones that I did um, would be, you know, a few pages from a, a manuscript, and mm-hmm. then there would be like 
20 or 30 sentences and they would say, you know, correct all you know, spelling and grammar mistakes in these sentences. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's pretty interesting. I, I'm curious as to like how they set that up and who's doing the the grading of it. Is it something that's automatically graded? Or are they someone's... No, name? I don't think so. They I think just the production know. editor... Yeah, the production editor goes through and, and looks at it. Um, yeah. And these were done, I mean, not that long ago, but, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I've been doing this for about 12 years. Yeah. And, uh, and it was all on paper back then. Right. Um, and now I hardly ever work on paper. So, you know, I had these, these pages that I would you know, have to mark up with my red pencil and then mm -hmm. mail back to them. Yeah. Uh, and right. did you have to learn a particular um, symbology for certain edits, like as far as like what you were trying to convey in shorthand on the page? Right. Um, the uh, Chicago Manual of Style has a page or two where they mm -hmm. have, um, uh, I think they call them proofreader's marks. Yeah. Um, I've also looked them up online. And sometimes I, if I'm not sure how to mark a certain yeah. thing, um, but a lot of it, there are um, very standard marks for um, transposing words or sentences or just letters, um, yeah. in insertions, deletions, things like it, that. That's, there's a lot to learn. I have my Chicago Manual style sitting here somewhere, but it's it's a beefy book. I mean, it's it's I don't know how many hundreds of pages it is, but it's it's like a Bible, basically bigger. Yeah, honestly. Um, so What's a, a, what edition are you using? 16th. Okay, because we've moved to 17 now. Have you now? Yeah, we use oh. it online. Okay, gotcha. Uh -huh. All right, yeah, I've, I've had it for a few years, so maybe I need an update. The uh, the dog actually chewed the back cover of mine a little bit too, so I've kind of been wanting an update excuse to buy a new one. But they're not cheap. It's like, I don't know, it was like $55 or something. It was, it was, right. not, it was not the cheapest book you could buy. Yeah, we, we, we subscribe to it online in an annual fee, yeah. and then... And then you know you get the updates and you get access to the Q and A um, nice. and the, the forums because sometimes there are things that users of the Chicago Manual have addressed but they're not in the book itself. Yeah. Um, so sometimes when you're wondering how to treat a certain you know, piece of dialogue or you know, right. how to punctuate something. Well, they uh, say there's exceptions to every rule. So right. Yeah, you're gonna <laughs> run at some point. You're gonna run across this thing that isn't covered in there. Um, yeah. You have to kind of interpolate the right answer. Yeah. But I, and I, even, um, I think it was uh, the testy copy editor is the book, and, it, and she may have been with Chicago. Okay. Um, there, she has a line in it about how you can take any published book off a shelf in a bookstore or a library and hand it to any copy editor, and that person will find something to change. Yeah. Yeah, so I feel like there is some element of subjective um, opinion that goes into grammar well i mean there are there are rules obviously there's some certain hard and fast rules but there are also some subjective elements that, that right. wash through there yeah and in, and in fiction you can get away with a lot more i mean yeah. um hubert selby jr made up his own punctuation in last exit to brooklyn mm -hmm. um and um you know sentence fragments things that wouldn't fly in technical writing mm -hmm. or non-fiction yeah. yeah, you can get away with that in fiction. And sometimes you'll see something like, okay, there's some, some interior monologue where it's like a dream sequence and there's just no periods. You know what I mean? It's right. like something <laughs> like that where like it's, it clearly sets it apart as different from the standard text. So you're making a style choice to do something unusual here that will help the reader understand that it's an, an atypical situation. Right, um, right. And, and, and what Karen and I tell all the authors that we work with, um, we we say, you know, our changes, you know, or our edits, these are, these are suggestions, really. Mm -hmm. You know, 
we think it would be better this way, but ultimately it's your work right. and you get to decide to overrule us or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some, there's one author that we've worked with who he says, you know, when he gets a manuscript back from me, he basically just goes in and hits accept all, yeah. um, you know, takes every, every change I've made. Um, but then there are others who, you know, question the changes and yeah, I have, I've found with my, my own personal style that when I first get an edit back from, from someone that I'm, my initial response is defensive. I'm like, no, 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 but, but I meant this. I meant, the, and then I'm, I'm like kind of on guard, the, right. but, but then as soon as I set it aside and come back to it the next time I'm open and I'm like, ah, you're right. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yep. You're right. And I'll accept 90% of the right. suggestions usually. Um, and I always try to be very gentle in my suggestions, mm-hmm. um, or you know, they're they're almost always in in the form of a question, you yeah. know, or I'll say, you know, I I don't understand this, or I'm not sure I understand this here. Will yeah. readers understand? Yeah, and then the author can say, yeah, readers know what's going on, or they'll say, oh, you're right, this doesn't make any sense. And, right. Yeah. No, it's a good thing. I mean, it's it's possible too if you're getting a book three of a series or something that you're you're editing. It could be a, a common thing that's already occurred in book one or two that the readers are going to be right totally exactly. On board with. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, um, I mean that that's hard. I do um, actually the book I'm about to start working on is the fifth one in a series, but I've I've done um, the previous four books of this series and five of the previous seven, which was the series that led into this one. Okay. So this one, this one, I know what's going on, but sometimes yeah. I'll get a you know book three or book four, and I've never seen the other books. Occasionally, if it's for a publisher, they'll say, "Read the other books, and you know, we'll pay you for that." Oh, oh that's, that's cool. <laughs> that's yeah, great. that is cool. Um, Just so but usually, you know, what what I have to work with are um, PDFs of the previous books, so I can look things up. Mm. Um, and then we always do a style sheet for our copy edits, um, and that includes um, all the characters in the book, um, usually with descriptions, mm. um, all the places that appear in the book. Mm. Um, spelling that differs from the dictionary that we're using usually it's merriam-webster's but so either either spelling that the author gets wrong um and then i'll put it in the style sheet so the author can look and see uh, you know this is how and then if anybody yeah. works on a, a subsequent book they can see this word you know like goodbye for example which can be hyphenated or not hyphenated okay. so you want to know how is it in this book so that it's consistent and yeah. if it's a series you want it to be consistent across the series so that's what we we do these style sheets for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's a tough thing to like settle into a style too. Because sometimes I know when I first started my series, I was doing a lot of interior uh, monologue in italics, and then later on, I was like, you know, I kind of got away from the idea of wanting to do my interior monologue in italics, and it's one of those things that's like probably a little bit inconsistent across my series because I just it took me, you know, I'm five years into the series, and I'm like, you know, I just I've personally changed the way that I like to do it, which I haven't had any complaints from any readers that are like, by the way, right. you so italicize all of this character's internal thoughts. And I'm like, now I just maybe occasionally, I don't know. It's, it's interesting how, how those things work. Right. Um, and then, and it's definitely hard when, when the series, writing the series is taking place over quite a long time. Right. Cause you learn a lot as you continue to get better. And as you get more edits back, obviously you pick up on things that you, had made, made mistakes you made in the past. Now you're making new mistakes. <laughs> right. The, the interesting thing that I find in um, in contemporary, you know, series that are set in contemporary times is that, um, you know, if the series has been, if the author's been working on it over five or six years, 
day-to-day technology changes. Mm. So in, you know, I'll work on one book and then, and there's no mention of Snapchat or Instagram. And then the next book will have Snapchat and Instagram all over it yeah. because, you know, suddenly those have become really big you know, among the, the audience. And, yeah. and so it's interesting the way, because the, the time in the book isn't five years between the books or a mm-hmm. year between them. It's happening, you know, right after the other book ended, but yeah. suddenly now they're Snapchat. Yeah. Or, you know, Uber that's, that's an interesting question. I, I started writing my first series in like 2008, 2009, but I didn't finish it till roughly uh, 2012 or something like that. So um, my character lives around that time. He lives in 2000, like he starts out in a very specific time, 2009. So that's when I started writing the book. Even though I finished the book later in 2013, where I published it in 2013, I had people ask me like, well, why don't you make it 2013? I'm like, no, he lives in 2009. <laughs> he does. He has a flip phone. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is his world. And I also, I mean, I write time travel as well. So he gets to bounce around. So right. it's almost like a nice comparison. So like when he goes home to 2009, like it's a very specific, you know, time that, you know, if he goes back home, Michael Jackson's still alive. You know what I mean, that's, and you know, he died that year in June. So it's like, there are very specific things that I kind of anchor my character with. Like this is his life. This is his personality. And he goes back to that. Um, but I can see how if you're not writing time travel, that would be you know, very problematic because you have to like keep shifting everything forward all the time. Which right. I like yeah. I like grounding in a very specific place in time. Um, can you tell people a little bit about like say when you very first get a manuscript? Maybe it's the first time you've you've seen this author's work. Um, what are some things that you look for right away, like right out of the gate? Um, first, I, I always go through and do sort of a punctuation cleanup um so just looking at like mechanics really you know does did the author use um uh uh, individual periods for an ellipsis or the ellipsis character Mm -hmm. Uh, because the publishers i work with have their preferences um do they use non-breaking non-breaking spaces uh yes see that's what i do too and i tell people that sometimes and they're like what are you talking about i'm like well i don't want to break across a different line yeah yeah okay yeah, nobody likes the um, the ellipsis character; those three dots that are all stuck together. Yeah, uh, uh, and and so and like m dashes sometimes mm-hmm. it's you know, or you know there'll be inconsistencies in the way the author has done it. So I generally go through and just do a whole bunch of uh, search and replaces mm. um, for things like that to to clean up the the physical structure of the yeah. manuscript. Um, and then um, it's kind of as I start working on it. Um, I'll get a feel for um, whether the author uh, repeats words. Um, uh, sometimes what I look for are echoes. So where the same word or phrase is used really close to its previous use, mm-hmm. um, sometimes just on the same page or within a few lines, sometimes in a sentence. You know, I'm just going yeah. to see if I just have, well, okay, those are two justs, two and that just, makes yeah. it a little clumsy. go a lot. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I'm looking for those um, and and things like that to to then know that I need to pay attention to more mm-hmm. or less as I work through the book. I feel um, like every author has their idiosyncratic things that they say, like turns of phrase that they will repeat too often. Right. Um, yeah. I know that um, I, I use like in a heap too often. Like something okay. fell and landed in a heap on the floor. Yeah. Like I use in a heap far too often. Now I have to like search for that every time I go to publish a book and then change a few of them. Like, right. When I when I notice that, I'll do a, a search and and you know count how many times phrases or similar phrases are used, and then um, if it's for a private author, just let the author know. Otherwise, 
when I send the job back to the production editor, I, I say, you know, this phrase was used, you know, 27 times in the manuscript. Yeah. I had I had someone who um, her characters were always um, dragging hands down their faces. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And there was another one who was uh, had characters. They were always letting their breath out in a huff or letting their breath out with a puff or letting yeah. their breath out in a rush. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like 20, 30 times in a manuscript. Yeah. Um, and you, you really start to notice it. And I think it takes the reader out of the story. Yeah. Um, I, had a, I had one friend, one of my writers group friends, her, her characters were always chewing on the ends of pencils. <laughs> and like they were journalists, so it's kind of it makes sense. Like in the scene, right. if they're like, oh, I'm going to chill on this pencil while I'm thinking about it, but they would do it all the time. I'm like, do you realize how many pencils you've destroyed in the course of this, this manuscript? She's like, no, I hadn't noticed that. I'm like, yeah, okay. yeah. So, yeah. What are some of the things that you see very? Are there, are there any that are like pretty consistently across the board that you have like a list that you immediately look um, for? I, I I did write up a little list actually. Nice. <laughs> I'd love to hear some of them. Um, so uh, grammar-wise, it things like um, dangling dangling modifiers. Okay. Or misplaced modifiers, um, you know, generally just referred to as danglers. Okay. Um, I, I actually I have a few examples. Yeah, that'd be um, great. So a, a dangling modifier would be uh, oozing slowly across the floor. Marvin watched the salad dressing. Okay. Yeah. Well, Marvin is not oozing across the floor. Right. Um, yeah. So you know you need to rearrange the sentence. Yeah. Uh, a misplaced modifier. Uh, she handed out brownies to the children stored in Tupperware. <laughs> yeah, the, the so, kids, the kids and, hopefully aren't in the Tupperware. Exactly, yeah. right. I mean, yeah. maybe they are, but... Yeah. Um, and so they're, they're, that happens a lot, and because we do it when we're speaking. Mm -hmm. you know, we'll just, you know, the dangling modifiers in particular happen a lot while we're speaking. Yeah. Um, so in dialogue, um, I'm more likely to allow it um, and not, you know, I might point it out. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if it's in uh, narration, I will fix it. Um, right. In some way. And then, you know, give the author the opportunity to fix it a different way, but making it clear that it needs to be fixed. Right. Yeah. Unless um, it's a, an intentional character choice. If it's a way to show the characters, you know, dialogue like as, yeah, there's, there's sometimes dialogue is deliberately wrong. Right. Absolutely. As, yeah. So, which is, yeah, but narration probably shouldn't be. Huh? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> um, another thing that, that I find is, um, when when things are written as if they're happening at the same time, but they're not actually simultaneous actions, yeah. uh, so it, it will be something like um, jumping out of bed. I ran across the room and closed the door. Right, you can't but, jump and run at the same time. Right, and yeah. you know, so I'll you know I'll fix that. So and and there are some authors who sometimes it happens once or twice in the manuscript or not at all. Sometimes it happens a lot. Um, it's a it's a very common uh, sentence structure. Mm. Um, you know, doing this i did that and and so i'll you know i get to fix those um yeah. and those are those are things that and, I some, and sometimes there probably are things that you can do simultaneously you know like chewing, yes. gu chewing gum i walked across the floor uh, all right right we'll give you that one most <laughs> yeah. of us can pull that off not everyone but right um i would i would say you know like sitting down at the table i picked up my cup of coffee okay right. sure. Yeah. sure um other things to really look out for are, um, I mentioned it earlier, I think, but chronology. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, uh, Karen was saying uh, that she calls this the, um, the internal structure, like the scaffolding of the book. And mm -hmm. it's stuff that, that a, a reader won't necessarily notice if it's wrong. Um, they won't notice it explicitly, but it may just sort of add it to a feeling of, huh, something's not right here. This, this doesn't feel right. Um, and, and so, you know, you want your author, your readers to, to really be immersed in the world that you've created. 
Um, so something simple like having a calendar next to you, um, even if you don't mention the day of the week or have an actual date in October 13th in mind, but mm -hmm. just to be able to, to follow the, the action um, clearly on a calendar. Because sometimes um, you don't realize that there's actually like a major national holiday during this date sequence. Because I, I had to do that with my series. Like I, I set them back into 1986 in, in January. But I'm like, well, uh, if they cross over from December to January, they should probably notice that it's New Year's. Like New Year's exactly. is like a big enough holiday that they would have like mentioned it. Right. So I actually had to go back in and find out what they were doing on New Year's Day because I kind of glossed over those days. Yep. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things we work on, um, a lot of it is young adult. So, mm -hmm. um, or set during school. Yeah. Uh, and so they'll be, you know, they'll be talking about the, you know, Thanksgiving and we'll have Thanksgiving in the book. And then suddenly it's New Year's and we'll wait, what happened to the December holidays? And, yeah. you know, you, you've missed something here and, um, so things like that. Sometimes, um, weeks have too many days. Um, I think it's interesting. Sometimes characters, you just never see them go to work. Or do like right. do anything other than like the plot, and it's like you kind of assume some of it. Like you assume characters go to the bathroom and like eat. Right. Like there's certain things you can kind of get away with, but every once in a while it's nice to like mention them eating a sandwich or something. You know, like just so like we ground ourselves a little bit in like the routine. But I've had right. some people that just like never seem to have a job or never, you know. Yep. How do they pay the bills? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, when I'm out, you know, sometimes I, I like to work outside of the house. So I'll mm -hmm. take my computer to a coffee shop or something and, mm -hmm. and work there. And I look around at all the other people there you know, sitting around on laptops drinking coffee. And I look at them I'm like, doesn't anybody work? What are you doing? <laughs> I complain about traffic in the middle of the day. Like, why aren't these people at their jobs? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, that was a pretty good list so far. Right. Let's see. So holidays you brought up. That was good. Um, the moon, um, I'm, mm. I'm kind of a stickler for the moon and, um, some of my favorite classes in, in high school and college were astronomy classes and I was sort of an amateur astronomer for a while. So okay. I, you know, so when I, I read, you know, the moon, like the bright light of the moon or the moon was overhead, I, you know, switch into astronomer mode and, and look up, you know, the time of moonrise on this day and, and, you know, or, like that time of year and yeah. could it be a full moon overhead, you know, not at six o'clock in the morning. It's, you know, there are certain times that the full moon is overhead. And right. yeah. so I look at that, um, things like, um, you can't have a full moon for like four or five, six days in a row, you know, right. it's going to start yeah. getting smaller. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, sometimes the chronology in the book is vague enough that I don't really know what time of day it is or what mm -hmm. time of year it is. And, mm -hmm. and, and sometimes they're set in, in alternate worlds. I'm like, okay, they can have as many moons as they want. Right. Uh, yeah. But if it's, a, if it's an Earth-based book, um, I'll, I'll pay a lot of attention to the moon and the phases of the moon in the book. Yeah, and I think it's, it's definitely good to pay attention to time, the consistency of time. Like, is everything happening at 3 a.m. in this story? Like, what's, what's, you know, they need to have some other times of day. You know, right, just, right. And also about and time, yeah. weather, yeah. Um, time is, is a good one because um, I've worked on books where way too much happens in a 24-hour period. Mm. It's like there has been so much happening where these characters have traveled like physically so far in this time that it can't possibly have taken place in one day. Yeah. Uh, and you know, the author's like, ooh, you're right, I'll, I'll make that two days or something. Yeah. But um, things like that. And... Um, uh, another one that, um, that that my wife, the Karen, notices a lot is um, 
gaps in time where something's happening on Monday at school and the next chapter is Friday. And mm. um, it's okay to not mention all the intermediate days if nothing has happened, really. Right. But you have to remember that they existed. And yeah. so I mean, when there's a character on Friday reacting to something that was said, like at the end of the chapter, the previous, so at the end of the day on Monday, you know, yeah. five days later, they're reacting to it as if it happened yesterday. Right. Those yeah. kinds of things. Um, that's another thing that we look for. Yeah. I see uh, Neil Helgers is watching. Neil's the, my narrator I was talking about, who's also from Brooklyn. It's another okay. uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn guy. Um, uh, Rob Peter says, children stored in Tupperware. Sounds like a great starting place for a novel. <laughs> and then uh, Christina Benjamin's watching. Marilyn is watching. Mark Hale is watching. So hi, everyone who's been stopping by. Say hi. Thanks for, for checking out the show. Um, but yeah, this is this is really interesting. I think that it's it's kind of cool that you get such a such a good window into all these uh, into kind of like the mind of writers as they work and kind of help them sort out these issues. Um, I think it's I think it's fascinating that like you get to you get to help mold these stories into like better versions of themselves, which I think is really cool. Um, right. What are some yeah, other, I do, I do like to think that, you know, this book is better because I have worked on it. Even if yeah. all I did was fix, you know, one period or something, it's still better. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that there's a lot of satisfaction there. And, um, and sometimes we get nice uh, thanks in the acknowledgements in books and yeah. save a little file of those as you should. Yeah, and uh, it helps, you know, because people will really complain, especially in reviews. It can be negative reviews can come out if you have typos and your, or bad grammar. And, like, the importance of an editor, editor can't be understated because of, you know, the, the long-term success of a book um, often relies on, you know, sometimes small things. And right. even if it's things that, that, that we can't quite put a finger on as a reader, uh, just like you said, something feels off. Right. And having these kinds of consistency checks help to smooth out a story in ways that we maybe can't even define, um, which I think is, is really helpful. Uh, what are some other common, common things that you see um, writers doing wrong consistently or, or maybe that they, they could watch out for? Um, I mean, these are, these are certainly the big items. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are they're small items if you think about it, but they're the, the ones that I see most often and, mm, okay. uh, and what I'm most working on. Um, I will sometimes, you know, as a copy editor, make suggestions on um, restructuring a sentence. Mm. Um, sometimes the sentences can be, either they're just long and confusing, um, uh, things like that. So I'll you know, make suggestions on rewording or reworking the sentences. Um, but I'm really focused on the details, um, and I more for private authors than for the publishers. Um, I will make suggestions on um, restructuring paragraphs or chapters, mm-hmm. um, the pacing, things like that. Sometimes um, authors get, uh, I think, really involved in in the details, and it can really slow down the the pace, especially in a mm-hmm. scene that's full of action. Do you look at actual like paragraph size and like numbers of sentences in a paragraph and like lengths of sentences like le- sentence no, consistency? No, not generally. No. Okay. No. So I know sometimes if you have a bunch of sentences that are all the exact same length, it can really affect the pacing. Right. But it's like okay, you need to add in some shorter sentences here, especially if it's like an action scene, like you're saying, where like just the pace of the 
and even the formatting of the page can sometimes affect right the I guess experience. I do that sometimes I'll not sort of realizing that that's what I'm doing because I will you know break a sentence into two sentences sometimes mm -hmm. and um, and and yeah because you know you're getting tired to get you know, by the time you get to the end of the sentence or you get to the end and you forget what the beginning was and yeah yeah and there is a, there's a, a rhythm to writing and to reading that is almost subconscious sometimes as we're going along, but we want to be taken along in this sort of flow of information and to not be taken out of the story by bad rhythm or right. just, just, you know, something about, and there's obviously a big deal when it comes to, I know, um, you know, Neil was watching and narrators, when you start hearing it out loud, then, um, oftentimes that really affects the story. Like, oh, wait a minute, that's why that sounds wrong, is because when you hear it out loud. Do you ever do any of your editing by reading out loud? Um, I do, actually. Yeah. Um, generally, I think it's, it's when I'm trying to figure out a comma or no mm. comma, um, I will read the sentence over and over out loud, trying out pauses in different places and, and seeing, you know, how did I naturally read it? And did I naturally put a comma there? Okay, then let me put the comma in. Um, yeah. I, I was working on one book recently, I, I don't even remember which one it was, but I saw, um, because usually when the manuscripts come to me, um, either if they're coming from a private author, there are no other comments in it. But sometimes when they come from publishers, I can see the editor's comments to the author and occasionally the author's responses. Mm. And there was one where the author was um, very particular about the, the meter and and like how many i don't know if he was counting syllables in the sentences mm. but he he would say like his comments would be like you know i know this word is extra here but i don't want to take it out because of the rhythm that it gives when reading aloud and, right, and yeah. i mean like he commented on that several times in the book and i was really impressed by that that you know the the attention that he was giving to how how will this sound aloud mm -hmm. yeah and it's something that i think the more you you work with uh, narrators, the more you, you think of too, because I know I've, um, my I've mentioned this several times in interviews with, with Neil, but like he'll sometimes send me a comment of like a sentence that's particularly hard to say out loud that I've written into the text. Um, I think one was tarnished brass backsplash that I wrote, <laughs> and then he just wrote, You bastard. And that's what he, that's all his sentence was. He wrote me that sentence. In the, and it made me think, and ever since then, I've always thought, Oh my gosh, I need to like, Pay attention to how this is going to sound. How hard this is even going to be able to? You know, how hard this is to say? Right. Um, I, I look for rhymes um, mm, that, yeah. that may not be intentional. I look yeah. for um, alliteration, uh, mm. and then and I usually ask, you know, is the you know alliteration is it intentional or is it okay? Mm. You know, do you want to change this? Um, but yeah, sometimes you know you'll have like a time and crime, you yeah. know, in the sense. You know, did you mean for that to rhyme? Because sometimes. In, depending on the style of the book and the the, the the flavor of the book, those are appropriate. But yeah. sometimes like, you're reading along and suddenly you hit that. And, and again, it just takes you out of the story. Wow. Yeah. When I'm writing first person uh, point of view, I have to be very careful of how many sentences start with the I. I yeah, you know, I did decided that. I was like, well, you got to figure out a new way to start this sentence, Nathan, because there's too many eyes. You know, yep. It's like, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting right. when you look, if you st step out of the story, and look at the words on the page. It's sometimes right, right. it's a completely different. Um, one thing I do too sometimes is read backwards. I don't read the whole. I don't actually read literally backwards, but I'll read paragraph by paragraph backwards uh -huh. up the page, so I'm not getting caught up in the story. And I'll I'll start reading the book backwards, just so that I don't get caught up in it and try right. to just focus on each 
paragraph separately. Oh, it sounds how it works. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a new challenge. Any other um, right. tricks that you do like that to like keep yourself from getting uh, dragged into the story, like how you maintain um, focus? I, al- I always do two reads. Um, mm. I read every manuscript twice. The first mm. time I go through it, it's really paying attention to um, the the nitty gritty, mm. um, and I'll pick up some of the. Um, possible plot issues, things like mm-hmm. that, that might exist as continuity and um, uh, items like that. Uh, on the second read, I'm, and also on the first read, I have to stop every, you know, every time there's a new character, every time there's a new place mentioned, I have to stop and put that into the style sheet. Every time I have to look up a word, that goes in the style sheet. So yeah. it's, it's a very um, disjointed read. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I go back and I read the entire thing a, a second time, um, and then I get to read it um, and and I mean, it's amazing how many things I find. Um, some of them are things like, you know, oh, there's no closed quotation mark here, or, right. or you know, that period is missing. And um, sometimes it's uh, repeated words, uh, mm-hmm. which are easier to find with the spell check. Um, but a lot of things, that, that, the kinds of mistakes that the, the brain just reads over, because mm-hmm. it just corrects them automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, missing words is big for Missing that. words, right. Um, but so those are the things that I tend to find on the second read. Um, but, okay. Yeah. Do you have any? Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. You can finish. No, there, there was one author that uh, my wife and I have both worked for. Um, he sends me the book for to do the copy edit. Then um, he does my changes and any revisions. Sends it to her for sort of a second copy edit uh, proofread. Mm. Mm. Um, and then it comes back to me for uh, a third, uh, a cold read, where I'm just reading it to make sure there are no leftover spelling and punctuation mistakes. Really. Um, yeah. and varying errors that made it past us. Yeah, um, that sounds nice and thorough. That was very yeah. good. Um, do you have any resources you recommend for people who are trying to learn to to write better as far as be better editors like this? Any any books you recommend or any resources that you have found helpful? Um, I guess, I mean, for style and questions, I mean, it's the Chicago Manual of Style, but for right. actually writing... Uh, since I don't really do the the developmental edits, mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm not looking at the books that way, um, so I don't I can't think of anything mm. uh, off the top okay. of my head. Gotcha. Um, I just always like to see. Sometimes people have resources that they're like, oh yeah, this was my go-to when I right. when I was learning this. Or uh, sometimes uh, I feel like there's always ways we have become the person we are, and I'm always curious to see what the kind of those forming books are that, that influence right. us. So <laughs> I mean, I, I and as a copy editor, I you know I read things like um, uh, Confessions of a Comma Queen. Uh, she was mm. the copy editor for the New Yorker magazine, oh, wow, and okay. the one I mentioned earlier, the Testy copy editor. Okay. Um, uh, there's a the American I think American Copy Editor Society. They have a, an annual meeting where copy editors get together and just geek out over copy <laughs> editing. And we have we've never gone. Talk language. Um, we 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 missed it. Uh, it was it was here in St. Petersburg, um, like the year before we moved down. Oh wow! Um, and and we're planning to go this uh, next one, which is out in Salt Lake City, I think, in okay. April. Um, but uh, we'd read a, an article about it, and it, it just—I mean—it's you know people getting together and talking about punctuation, and yeah. and uh, you know most people I think would roll their eyes and and you know would rather you know stick toothpicks in their eyes than do this. But, yeah. But yeah, we really geek out over it. That's really fun. I think there's there's a club for everybody. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that, that sounds like a good time. So where can people find more information about you 
Um, and maybe if they want to submit um, a manuscript to you, where's the best place for them to contact you? Um, the best thing is to email me. We did just um, form uh, an LLC. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been just working as sole proprietors all these years until someone suggested that we might benefit uh, greatly on our taxes if we uh, incorporate. So we, yeah. we have just formed um, Sunshine City Editorial, okay. uh, but we don't, we don't have a web presence yet or an okay. email for that. Okay. Um, but but um, um, through a message on Facebook or email me, it's um, lusterbr, L-U-S-T-E-R-B-R, okay. uh, at, at Gmail. Lusterbr um, at Gmail, okay. Yep. And I'm also, I'm a member of the Editorial Freelancers Association, uh, so you can find me on their website. It's the-efa.org. Okay. Um, and there's a place to um, look up members there. Find editors um, and, and help. Yep. All right. Well, fantastic. I think that's been, this has been really informative. I've really enjoyed um, discussing your, your craft with you here. This is, this is a part of the business that I think is, is just super fun. Um, I enjoy not, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it is fun to geek out over words. All of us who, who love books love, love language. So this is, this is very fun. Yep. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time, Brian, uh, to be here and, and hanging out with us. And uh, uh, thanks so much for, for agreeing to do this. Thank you. And I will see you uh, this Sunday on the Frisbee Field. I'll be there. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everyone, for watching and for listening. And we'll see you uh, next week for another great episode. So long.